Welcome to episode 141 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, our good friend Brian Bishop of The Verge is here to tell us about his recent adventure in Austin, Texas at the South by Southwest Festival with Deep Dive Austin, where he spent four fabulous days and nights living inside an alternate reality on and off during that time. Brian's going to get into all the details on that in a bit. But first, we've got some updates for you. News from ourselves and news from around the world. So let's start. uh, Let's start with news from around the world. Oh, shaking it up for those of you who uh, fast forward through certain parts of the show. I'm keeping you on your toes. Um, I brought this up in uh, The Irregular, which is our uh, backer-only version of the, the podcast, which are little little short snippets I drop at least once a week, um, maybe sometimes more. I think you'll, you might find a couple of them this weekend, um, whenever the mood strikes me. Uh, and the mood struck me the other day because uh, it was announced that the Tension Experience uh, is is becoming part of a company that is owned by the Russo brothers. The Russo brothers being, um, they're, the, they're this uh, pair of siblings who make art films for an amusement park company. I keep on using that joke, and I think it's funny. Um, if you actually don't know who the Russo brothers are, they're the guys who um, directed Captain American Civil War, uh, Winter Soldier. Before that, it was Winter Soldier, where we were all like, oh, what? Because before that, they had directed like episodes of Community. And so it was like, the guys directing Community are like directing Captain America? What the hell's wrong with Marvel? Winter Soldier comes out, oh, that that's what... I, I guess we can't say there's anything wrong with Marvel. And Civil War comes out, we're like, that's pretty good. Um, and then it was announced like, and they're directing the next two Avengers movies. And it was like, that makes sense. Um, so they're really into immersive as it turns out. Oh my God. Oh my God. Uh, fanboy moment. Uh, and, uh, they're teaming up with Darren Lynn Bowsman and, uh, and Clint Sears and all the good folks over at, um, over at tension. Hi, Gordon. I don't want to butcher your last name. Uh, and, uh, yeah. Um, Vegas again, again, Vegas. Um, if, if you're not noticing a trend in the past two weeks, it is of very large immersive projects getting announced in Vegas. Now, Kind Heaven, which is this $100 million entertainment complex with, like, stages and, like, the whole, like, Southeast Asian theme, we won't even get into that, um, being put together by, like, the CEO of Walden Media, someone who used to be at ILM, and Perry Farrell of, of Porno for Pyros and, and Lollapalooza, and, and I can't to say for certain exactly what it's going to be, but they talk a lot about 360 entertainment, about things being immersive. So it sounds like amusement park type vibe to me, uh, less than necessarily, oh, it's going to be Sleep No More on steroids. Um, tension is definitely going to be tension, whatever it is in in Vegas. All right. So like, I don't think they're changing the spirit of the show. Uh, this, is, this is big stuff. Vegas is going to become a destination for this kind of work. It makes sense. There's a lot of money there. 
uh, in the inter- in the live entertainment biz. Of course it is. Um, it's what Vegas does. That puts some pressure on other cities, uh, particularly the one I live in, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, figure out how to do this. And I don't, I'm not talking about, um, you know, the creative community. The creative community in Los Angeles is fired up and ready to go. Um, it's, it's getting the, the bureaucracy and getting the developers, uh, to kind of understand this, this is what can happen. Um, the, the advantage is moving to Las Vegas. Um, and let's see, let's see what the we Angelinos can do about that. New York. Oh, just, just keep on being there and, 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 and loving the fact that you were first. Um, I, I have no fear for you. Also with, uh, with the shed opening, um, I think there's going to be a lot of activity around there, particularly in the convergence of technology and this speaking of technology and this, Oh, badoba. Um, the news coming out of GDC. Um, look, you know, GDC is not about product announcements. It's about uh, technology announcements. And there is some wicked cool stuff happening at GDC on that end. Magic Leap are talking about their design principles. We still don't know if that thing is going to work, but their design principles are on point. So all kind of VR stuff happening, like lower end, more consumer friendly VR is, is coming our way. Um, there's some AR stuff. I put this on the Twitter. Oh my God. Oh my God. There is this video someone made with like an iPad of like walking into just go on our Twitter. Just go on at no proscenium and look for the video where it's the Twitter's like the tweets like all uh, I made this with an iPad and like nothing else. No, no, no post processing. You'll plots. All right. Let's go do that business thing we do. I got some good news for you. By good news for you, I mean good news for me. I've got some good news for us all. Um, ooh, let's talk to Patreon. Okay, so you know we've been on a campaign all this month to try and double. Okay, and just being realistic, realistic, we're not going to double this month. All right? Believe me, no one's more upset than me. This is my life. Um, but we have come very far. We're up 22 new patrons and 233 bucks in pledges in a single month which is our definitely our largest month so far. What does that mean? That means just expect us at least twice a month to be this annoying. Um, right now, we are $3, three lowly dollars away from the $1,000 a month backer level goal. I mean, uh, not backer level goal, but you, you know what I'm trying to say. 1000 bucks a month. That feels so solid. That feels so real. That feels so amazing. Um, we are at $997 as I record this. Three more $1 backers, one $5 backer, and we are there. And we're there. We've crossed that line. Our goal for the month was to try and get up to fifteen sixty four in terms of money, but we are so close right now. Uh, just to hitting the thousand, and that's our next goal. And then the goal after that is the the twelve hundred and fifty dollar goal. So I think we can do a lot to to end this month closer to our twelve fifty goal than not, uh, which would be amazing. This week, I've got a pretty pretty um, ambitious goal for us. Um, I want to get. We've had 22 new backers for the for the month. I think we can get 10 new backers 
this week. I'm hoping we can get 20. What I need from all of you, those of you who've backed, is it's telefriend time. If you know someone who's into NoPro uh, and you know they're not a backer, you know, just cajole them just a little bit. Just say, it's a buck. It's a buck. $5, of course, unlocks the irregular and, you know, hey, it's a thing. Um, but just just the numbers, the numbers of people, the broad-based support is what's going to make this thing work. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Thank you so much. It's been incredible. And now the part where we say who has helped do this. Okay. So first of all, Julia M. Ritter and Eva Anderson, uh, Eva Anderson, that, sorry, uh, up their pledges to 25 bucks, which I didn't, I didn't expect or want anyone to up their pledges this time, but I do appreciate it. Right now we've got one more at the $25 level ready. So one more person out there is going to go and claim that. And that's, that's the quarterly care package, which will, which will, you know, start up. Um, we'll be dropping that. The first one I think we're going to drop in June, um, is the goal there. Um, and then, um, yeah, cause you know, quarterly, um, but like, we'll, we'll see what I do. We'll see what I do. I might, I might do something early cause I'm excited. Um, Here's the folks, other folks who jumped in. Dickie Cox, Cat Hinkle, Drycraft, uh, Los Angeles, Roland Q, Quee, sorry, Patrick. I'm going to blow it if I try. Uh, and David Blenar. Um, again, everyone, always, please, whoa, you're going to get your name said on the air. Please write me. I'm very, 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 very bad at figuring things out phonetically. It is, it is a disease I have. Um, it has been this way since I was a kid. So, um, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> what a wonderful thing. Thank you so much for giving me money. Let me butcher your name. Um, all right. Everyone knows how that part goes. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Three bucks. One $5 backer. Three $1 backers. Both. Both and uh, we're, we're, we're extra good. Let's see it. I want to see it by the end of the day. I just want to, you know, it's been a, been a weird week. It'd be a nice way to end the week that way. Um, transition, segue. Uh, weird, weird weeks, weird weeks. Who had a weird week? Brian Bishop had a weird week. Oh, there we go. Still got a little bit of the skill. <clears throat> um, here's what's up with this next. Uh, we do give you um, a nice overview of what... Deep Dive Austin is. If you want the play-by-play, if you want the the diary version of the deep dive, Brian has written like 14,000 words. What? A small book on the experience over at The Verge. Um, if that's what you're looking for, I encourage you to read that. You might even, if, if, if that's what you really want, if you like, no spoilers on someone else's experience, Okay, um, read that and then listen to this. Otherwise, look at it this way. This is gonna this we get into the spirit of the thing and we get we get philosophical. Hi, it's Brian and me. Um, I really liked where this conversation went. Uh, I thought I uh, and I walked into it not knowing anything. Like I hadn't had time, unfortunately, to read Brian's stuff. Um, so I was getting the download. So if you're going in fresh this is this is how i 
uh, navigated these waters. And hopefully uh, you'll get a, a good sense. I, I felt like I had a really good sense of what his experience was and what made it so special and unique by the time it was all over. Uh, and now hopefully I'll have the time to read the the, the blow by blow. Okay, um, that's it. More on the other side. Um, take it away. Uh, me earlier past me and Brian. Ooh, coffee's doing weird things. Here we go. <laughs> Hey, man. Yeah, what's going on? Uh, this and that. It's good to see your not-bearded face. You did mention that. Unfortunately, for those who are fans of the not-bearded face, the beard is coming back. Uh, I was just trying for uh, an Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan, and, and I had a clipper accident. So, Well, you're embracing it, and I think that's wonderful. Yes. Well, uh, it was popular for a minute, but now, now the, the changing the guard again. Um, you're back from South by Southwest. Yes. You had a bit of a time. Uh, tell me. Yeah, it was funny. I you know normally I go to South by Southwest and I primarily cover film, and then I try to like sneak in whatever immersive or activation related things I can. So like there was like you know some escape room stuff last year, and there's been things like that in previous years. Um, and that was that was the plan this year. It was uh, the plan. Uh, I ended up seeing one movie the entire festival. <laughs> Eight days in Austin, one movie, uh, and the rest of it I spent playing in Westworld and uh, in a four day immersive. Uh, narrative with interactive deep dive, um, which uh, yeah, which we should talk about. Yeah, I mean that's you're you're becoming a bit of an ARG star here, Mr. Brian Bishop. Uh. <laughs> Take that back right now. <laughs> um, I mean, but we'll we'll talk about whether or not it's awkward to like you know, be made like the the center of a, a narrative like this as the course of what we're talking about. But like, what was this? And this is interact Austin deep dive, interactive deep dive. This, this is interactive deep dive. Yeah, it's basically it's a nine month um, creative lab um, put together by by Jeff Worth of um, Interactive Play Lab out of New York. Mm. Uh, and I think it's nine to ten artists. I think in Austin for nine months doing like a bunch of different projects like. Five days a week just working on interactive performance, immersive techniques, all this kind of stuff across VR, like, you know, physical interactions, everything. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they're nearing the end of their course now. I think they end up wrapping in April um, with individual projects. They have another project called um, Spirit of the Torch that's going to be um, on March 29th. Mm. Um, but after, like, these individual projects, then all these artists kind of go their separate ways. So, and are they, is this like a... Doctoral, postdoctoral type. I mean, is it is it is it academic in any way, shape, or form? It's definitely it like a think tank. Like what? It's what yeah. The F is this thing. A think tank is a good way to describe yeah. it. I think it's basically you know I, I talked to talked to Jeff about it, and the idea was like he's very bullish, obviously, on interactive performance and how these things are going to define you know entertainment and you know applications across disciplines, right? Um, but that only really happens if people can really be trained in the nuance and the subtlety and all the different things that needs to happen to make this stuff work, mm. you know. And for him, it's not just like these are actors, right? It's like people that are that are actors, they're improvisers, they have really good story structure knowledge, um, they're facile with technology, um, they have a good sense of social psychology, so they can read a person in a scene and kind of know how to craft a scene in a moment based off of a person. Um, so it's it's a little bit different than the things that I've kind of like you know been a part of my myself and the shows I've seen. Um, but, uh, uh, what, you know, what this group is, like, the idea is like to get all these people together and kind of like 
do a deep immersion and all this kind of stuff. Sorry, I'm going to use the immersive word a lot. Yeah. Um, basically, and kind of like prep all these people in this hardcore like nine-month course, and then they go their separate ways and bring that knowledge to whatever discipline they personally like, whether that's, you know, education, whether they're a dance-based artist, like whatever. Mm. That's... We'll, we'll seek them out and talk to them because I've got many questions about... I'm as curious about them as, as Ruby is curious about my bag right now, which is fine. I'm actually enjoying it. Uh, Ruby's the cat, the cat here at uh, the Bishop Residence. Um, uh, she has an Instagram account. What's that Instagram account, um, uh, Hey Ruby Kitty. Hey Ruby Kitty. So uh, you can know exactly who's uh, no longer curious about the bag. Uh, I think she's a little shy. Uh, <laughs> it is a very fancy bag. It is, it is a fancy bag. We won't talk about it. Um We'll, we'll ask about the financials about that, like from them, because I'm, I'm I love the fact that it exists. Yeah, that such a thing could exist in the world, and you got to experience the fruits of their labor, which was what exactly? Well, it was really funny. The whole thing started. There was on, it was in everything immersive. There was a post. Um, <clears throat> somebody said, "Hey, you know, this thing's happening at South by Southwest." Um, I think at that point it was like a four day narrative. It, it read like it was for a group of participants. So apply mm-hmm. if you're interested. So. I'm like, sure, I'll apply to that. That sounds neat. Um, and so I applied to this thing and um, ended up getting chosen to take part in the experience. And at the time, I thought it was basically a four-day narrative experience for one person. So they basically had designed, they'd written a story that basically there was going to be a sole single protagonist and that person ended up being me. Um, and I went into it, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything. I didn't know what genre, what story, like... You know, I accidentally came across the the a listing of the deep dive members like two days into the story when I was like researching my first post about this. But other than that, I knew nothing. I think I'd asked you a question about um, about Meow Wolf because they were like co-sponsoring this. Yeah. Uh, and I'd asked some other friends about uh, about Jeff Worth, I think, and a couple deep dive members that I knew were, like were part of it, like right. randomly. But other than that, I literally knew nothing going in, um, which my coworkers were. At first, I thought they were like weirded out by. Then they seemed delighted in. Then I found out that like four or five of my coworkers were complicit. So it got really interesting. <laughs> um, but it was like like going into that kind of situation in South by Southwest, like not knowing what to expect. I'm like, I have no idea what this is going to be right. I was basically betting my entire coverage plan on this one event, hoping it was going to be cool and not knowing. Right. Um, and then basically, so the whole thing was supposed to kick off on a Saturday. Um, Friday, there was a, a letter. I got a, you know, it was in my hotel room. I got a note. There's like, oh, there's a letter here at the front door. And it opened it up and it said, um, your story adventure is about to begin. This is not an ARG. This is a simulife. Um, uh, basically, where it's going to be an alternate, like, you know, existence. It's going to permeate your things. I had certain windows when I knew the story would or would not be active. So I could go to a movie that I never ended up going to or, or write and file stories, which I did a lot of. Um, but that was, but basically even that was, that was that there was no, like, there was very little guidance. It was just like, here's the thing. And there was, I think two lines of back. You you had no idea what the story was. You had no idea at all. You just said, I'm going to trust that they're going to, cause these people, you know, uh, on the one hand, you you were the focus of their attention for four whole days and however much prep time they did personally on you beforehand. Mm -hmm. But the turnaround of it is like, you were handing four days of your life over to total strangers yeah and the the setup the only premise was uh you've been having headaches for the last two weeks and last week you had a blackout and don't know what happened that was it that was in this letter I how do they know my life no uh, <laughs> <laughs> no i rarely black out so um but yeah no so it was like it was a little 
I don't want to say it was terrifying. It wasn't like going to like, you know, uh, uh, an extreme haunt. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is this going to be? Because it's in the middle of South by. It's in the middle of Austin. It seems like fairly like it's going to be somewhat safe. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I didn't know what was going to, I had no idea what was going to happen. Um, and then basically that same day I got that letter, I got on Slack a message from one of my, one of our, our Silicon Valley editor, a guy named Casey Newton. He's like, hey, there's this woman named Paige Keen who's going to be uh, an intern for The Verge on the tech side this summer. And she's here in South By. She's really, really interested in experiential journalism and wants to chat with you. Uh, and like, And I'm sitting here going like... I don't really want to waste my time with an intern. Like covering a show like <laughs> South by is hard as it is, right? You don't want to have to be like dealing with that kind of thing. And but I'm like, uh, that's my bosses. I should probably say yes. So I say, I text this person uh, and she seems perfectly nice. And then she's like, oh, hey, cool. Like it turns out like, you know, I had a meeting with a producer at, at Meow Wolf uh, Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, that was going to be about this experience. And that was like the, why I don't know but like yeah. I had this meeting and she's like hey like my mom like is friends with the producer so can I come and can we meet for coffee beforehand and I'm like no I don't want you to do this Paige Keen um, but I kind of said yes I should and um, uh, did and you then, suspect at that point because I can tell where this is going did you suspect at that point that she was part of it here's what's funny I so assumed I so naively assumed that of course my co-workers would never go and <laughs> break that line of trust right you know, you know how it is in our business. Oh, like you yeah. have to, if you can't trust your colleague in a newsroom, like you can't really do anything. Because yeah, you, full stop. Right. Yeah. Um, and what was funny about it is that very like a month out, uh, um, uh, a guy named Carlo, who I later found out afterwards was, was the director of the show, had said like, "Hey, we need to contact somebody in your organization just to make sure for, for some things." So I put him in touch with Mike Section Editor Laura Hudson. Uh, and then I talked to Laura, my kids, you talked to those people. She says, oh, I gave it off to like, you know, our film and TV editor, Tasha Robinson. I'm like, Tasha, have you talked to those people? Like, they never talked to me. I'm like, okay, I'm just flying blind. Uh, but I assumed, yeah, that Casey would not do anything bad to me. And I was very wrong. <laughs> so you decided to like go along with it and brought, so like, let's, well, let's not go beat by beat because we, we have, I mean, we have how much time we want. We don't have four days. Right. Um, what, what was what's the nut? What was this story about? The premise of the story is that um, uh, it's a it's a it's a world where you know multiverses are real, right? And uh, again, I don't understand how this is different from reality. That's yeah. that's why it's so immersive <laughs> and effective. Yeah, um, but uh, basically, that there is a a parallel timeline where there is a guy that you know we all have like mirror versions of ourselves, right? And, mm. and there's a guy that looks like me, sounds like me. His name Brian Bishop, and in that world, he developed this thought reading technology called Open Mind that then basically got parlayed into the tech world and like people were using for, you know, nefarious purposes, advertising that kind of stuff. Um, he got kicked out of his company, and he basically found a way to accentuate that technology to actually swap physical matter between timelines um, in the form of people. So basically, I would he and I would swap positions. He would swap into my world, and I would swap into what I ended up calling the the Open Mind timeline. And so I would basically. <clears throat> run into people that, like in any immersive show, they'd be like, oh, so-and-so, blah, 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 tell me this. Um, and I would have no idea what they were talking about. But I had no idea what they were talking about as part of the narrative because I was literally an imposter. And so I met this guy's wife. I met this guy's professor. Um, I uh, basically found out that his company was going to be bought and I had to stop it. I found out along the course that he, while he was in our world, um, he had been selling his technology and kind of like trying to, you know, 
make this nefarious like thing happen in our universe as well. See, I'm sad they didn't hire an actor to play you to go to those film screenings you would have been to otherwise and file your story. <laughs> right. That would have, um, like, just imagine you open up, so notes for you guys next time, imagine this, you open up The Verge and you see something under your byline you didn't write. It would have been even more upsetting. <laughs> um, and so the way this whole thing plays out, if end of it is like, I basically find out what's going on, I come clean with what's going on to various people in both worlds, and I devise a plan to stop it. Um, I'm basically going to blow up this big acquisition that this like you know big you know like conglomerate is going to buy this technology and do it to like do terrible things across the world with their advertising technology, and I blow up this thing, and then I, sw- I you know I zap back timelines back to my world, and I think the whole thing's over, and I'm frankly kind of disappointed. And the last it was like Tuesday that I thought the show was over. I'm like. Well, that was that was cool. I had a really like climactic moment. We'll talk about it later. But I'm like, that's it. But it wasn't over. It was the uh, it was the switcheroo, and then I went back into it, and then the show ended up culminating. Um, I don't know how you want to break down the narrative of it, but it uh, it ended up with this incredibly powerful, dark, dark, but also redemptive scene um, mm. where. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm telling the story out of order. Yeah, 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 yeah. I basically ended up uh, committing suicide because what? we found out that if you know what happens to one of us happens to the other person. So if I get you know a cut on my arm, Bishop, as he was called, would also get a cut on his arm. And so everything was narrowed down to a set of choices where I could stay in that world, um, you know, and kind of like you know, and you know who I was, and kind of like developed like rapport with like Bishop's wife who didn't like him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I could go back to my real world, you know, and all my friends and family here and visit you and talk to you, Noah. Right. Or I could basically save both worlds by taking myself out of the equation. Because Bishop was too evil. Right. And that's what I ended up doing. Um, and it's... I feel like every time you and I talk, I'm usually coming off of a show where I'm, I feel I am come off a little hype man about it because it's been really affecting. Right. Um, but this was one of those shows where... Um, if the first time we talked and I had like just like fallen down the rabbit hole and I was like, oh my God, I'm immersive, you know, interactive. You can do all of these things. It's amazing. I love it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. This show for me was a, a another inflection point where it was like, oh wait, this work can do these kind of things with these techniques and this kind of emotional connection is possible. Um, and it's, it was, I found it really revelatory. And I, I haven't had an experience as um, effective or as affecting, I think, as this one was. It really threw me for a loop and I haven't quite come down from it yet. What was it just that switcheroo like monster comes back you're still in the world was that what made it so affecting like because you're saying like you these take you to this places with these techniques like right. get, what's another example it's uh the story structure was like kind of like really well done it was really impeccable mm-hmm. there's you know even kind of having like there's a, a scene bef- like the the night scene before the final day that was like this really really mellow scene where I just had dinner with the family that was like completely chill and relaxed where it kind of like gave you a breathing moment where so the mm. structure of it was was impeccable. Nice. Um, but what was really about it was about the relationships I had with the characters, right? Because you know the show apparently, as I found out talking to them afterwards, um, it wasn't scripted in the traditional sense where it's like here are these monologues, here are these things that can happen. Um, and it actually wasn't a branching narrative either; it was fixed. Ah. But what each scene had was a series of beats that the the performer or interactor in their parlance um, kind of had to hit and move the participant or spectator um, through spec act so 
that's deep dive terminology. Yeah, but yeah, what's yeah. what's interesting about it though is that it, it was tying into all those things I talked about earlier, like cues on social psychology, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. what it happened was because there's no set dialogue, every moment becomes a much more organic, authentic feeling relationship and interaction. So, right. um, for example, the my very first scene is I ran into the prof- bishop's professor, professor rather, mm-hmm. um, who kind of like figured out what was going on. Jeff Worth played him. Um, and that was like just getting my feet wet. That night was the second scene where I walked into my hotel room uh, and Bishop's wife is in, was in there because I'd swapped rooms, right? And we both had the same hotel room and I swapped oh, dimensions. because he's at South by Southwest in his universe. Right. Okay. He's in Austin. So you walk in, there's some woman you don't know in your hotel room. Right. Which is the second time it's happened to me in, a, in a, an immersive-related <laughs> show, which is a little bit weird. But, um, but, uh, but that kind of scene, like... Then, you know, okay, how do you then play that, right? Well, it's like, I don't know anything about this world yet, so I need to kind of impersonate Bishop a little bit, right? And so I'm faking that I'm the husband. Mm -hmm. There's this, like, forced sense of intimacy given this scenario and given, like, where the character Faye thinks I'm coming from. And there's no... There's no set, you know... There's no set speeches. It literally is just, like, you know, myself and Joanna Harmon, the actor, like, playing off of each other and forming this scene in real time. Mm. Um, and so the, the net effect of all that was that it's, it, it much more felt like an organic, real, authentic relationship. And so all those emotional connections that, you know, you and I talk about and talked about before, like what's so interesting for me about this work is the ability to have these, what feel like real, authentic, emotional moments. Like it was that in spades. It's like my favorite elements of this work, four days of it straight, like turned to 11. Just like just pure drama. And that's, that's one thing that's interesting that I think people overlook in this, world is the the simple power of a good dramatic scene and not and i don't mean like dramatic scene Mm -hmm. but just you know the the power of naturalism the power of just like a a, like you said a chill dinner or just trying to figure out what what are the relationships here right sometimes people get so caught up in trying to tell the story that they forget that the way we navigate through this life is through our relationships and through, through how this person feels about it or or trying to figure out what the what the relationships in a in a room are. Yeah. You know, like if and if you just you can tell everyone what it is, like, oh, this person, this person, this person, but that's just exposition. Like we're all natural, you know, social detectives. We're always trying to figure out what's going on. Some people find that very, very stressful mm-hmm. and wouldn't want to be in it. But the joys of drama, quad drama, are exactly that. Yeah, and I think that's really what it was. There obviously is a, a there was lots of not a lot. There's a decent amount of plot, right? It's like a mm. sci-fi premise. There are these things, you know, revelations happening. Like you know, every scene. There were two basically two scenes a day over the four days. Um, uh, but it was not was not the focus. That was so two there. scenes a day. Of, so eight scenes essentially. Yeah. And how long would the scenes last? Sometimes it could be like an hour. Um, sometimes they would be they would be longer than that. I'm trying to think. Uh, it's really funny. It blurs. Like I don't yeah. have. A, I wasn't like. Here's one thing that's also very interesting. Normally when I go through a show, I am uh, very very aware of those kind of things. Like how long is something? What's I'm going like? What's the flow in a room like? All these kind of things, right? right. Like we have like our journalist hats on a little yeah, yeah. bit. Um, this show. None of that. Like, I would be done with the scenes and like, oh, I should have taken a picture of something, but it never even occurred to me. Like, I was always, I was more present and immediate in the moment than anything I'd probably done before. Mm. Um, so, what became a problem where I'm like, oh, I don't have any assets to, <laughs> to put in the story afterwards. What are we going to do? Um, can we get a screen capture for something? Yeah. Um, 
But um, but no, like this having it be so purely based upon those relationships was amazing. And what was also cool about it is that I went through thinking I was the 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 only participant. And there was actually a second participant, this woman named uh, Amani Dabney, hmm. um, um, who uh, uh, was so great. Like it was one of my favorite characters actually who played part of this like resistance group that's trying to like take down the open mind technology and i'm sitting here going like i hated their leader like i hated the leader like i went like crazy with the leader we started like you know shouting and like fighting and everything and this one other member of the group kind of like talked me down and kind of said no you should help us and do x y and z and i'm like okay i'm gonna play ball with this resistance group because of this person literally going like this this performer is fantastic and it was another participant who did not know that i was a participant either oh wow so we were both playing separately i was playing myself brian bishop she had a character name she was playing she was um uh, nikita but um it was really really interesting and we didn't know till after the final scene and then like we were introduced to each other afterwards and neither one of us knew the entire time through oh wow which was really wild um because then you kind of realize oh wait like that was a really great demonstration of what a participant or spect actor can pull off if they're set up and supported in the right way because like there were scenes that you know a scene or two we just like ran in a moment together and you know what's interesting there is i think of the cognate in a larp where you have player characters and non-player characters but you you're always sort of suspicious or you're winky or you're like there's there's ways in which with other pcs it it breaks the illusion and you you sort of know you can you know wink wink nudge nudge if if you think everyone around you is part of the this part of the world you know you'll you'll behave differently than yeah. you will like oh we can we can hack this there's no meta gaming there's no let's beat this together yeah and that was the most important That's thing beautiful. I think about the show in general like the difference between a simulife when they first got that letter it was like this is not a game and I was talking about it afterwards like what do, what do you really mean by that because you know it is play right but yeah. it's talking about game mechanics there is no yeah. game mechanics involved like you literally don't know there was no safe word um, the only like kind of like catchphrase was there was a question I could ask that would um, elicit a response to find out if the person I was talking to was actually an actor that was part of the show so I wouldn't like get into like a random car or something like that. <laughs> um, but otherwise, the goal was literally to ensure that you never knew what was real or what was not. Like obviously, there were certain cues. There was a sound cue um, that would play whenever I switched dimensions. So obviously, then I would know the game is afoot. Um, obviously, when I went down to meet, I went down to meet um, Paige Keen, the intern, at 10 a.m. that Saturday morning. Four people came up to me acting like they knew who I was. Like I knew that the, you know that was the show. Obviously, at that point, yeah. But once those initial like things was there up, no Paige Keen? There was a Paige Keen. Paige Keen is actually a member of Interactive Deep Dive, and I met her, and we she was like kind of like my confidant throughout the entire thing. Like, nice. and so if I look back at my phone, it became really funny. I got so deep into the story, I would end up having like these long conversations via text with Paige, being like, "I can't tell anybody what I'm doing. It sounds crazy. Like my colleagues think I'm nuts." Yeah. Um, and uh, we'd have like these really like I don't know what to do about this, about that, and. Like developed like what felt like authentic friendships, you know, with this with all these different characters, mm. um, which also was very strange to come out of that. You know? Particularly because we're talking about well, here's the thing. So the scenes could be maybe an hour. Let's say let's say maybe ninety minutes. So no more than three hours a day. So this thing was no long more than twelve hours long. Right. In in absolute terms, in terms of how much content was like you know put in front of you. How much 
but how much time in the downtime between scenes were you doing this conversation with Paige or just trying to figure out what the F was going on? Um, it got it got different and different as I went through. The first time it started, I would like stop the scene. I would literally sit down and just like write down everything that happened just so I wouldn't forget things, you know, just so I could recount it better later. Because we wanted to do like a running diary series. We ended up publishing like, ended up publishing nearly 14,000 words, like walking through this experience um, on, a, on The Verge. Um, and then like, so like once that was done, then I would kind of like try to take a step back and be like, okay, what's actually happening? Try to think it through once I have the basic details down. As I got deeper into the story world, that process of writing things down, it changed. I would sit there and sit with it first and then recount it, much like you would with real life. It stopped mm-hmm. being like, here's this thing I have to do. Um, and then as that went on further and further, those out of game or those off like peak hour times where I was interacting via text or whatever, um, those would get more and more and more. Like Paige and I had this big long conversation about how she didn't want to, how she wanted to be a writer and her parents didn't support her. So I encouraged her to like a, a plan to get writing on a daily basis and she sent me you know, a poem that she'd written one day and I gave her feedback on a poem like via email. This is all outside of the framework of the game. Right. This was like our relationship and friendship that was part of it, that was complementary to it. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't actually part of it to the point where I actually met Paige Keen at the end because the, the actor's name is actually Paige Keen. Right. Um, I'm like, I feel like we're friends. I feel like I'm friends <laughs> with all you people actually, even though I don't know any of you, but right. you all seem like good humans. Um, but it was... Uh, yeah. It's, it's hard to articulate because it truly is one of those things where the best way to describe it is to actually experience it. And that's the trick, right? And that's, our, right. that's, that's my job. The hard part is like writing through what it was like, um, which is probably why I wrote so many words trying to walk through this thing. And my write-ups weren't just plot recaps. They were things that were happening. Because what was really interesting about it is that one of the things that talking to Jeff Worth after the show about is, you know, participants or co-creators in this kind of environment. And we a lot of immersive shows talk about that. Right. Um, and here I was fascinated because there was no branching narrative like how much of a co-creator could you really be? Mm. And what it was, it was the subjective lens of the participant. Yep. What you saw, how you acted, the themes would come of that. Like the show already had themes built into it, but like the things I did brought new themes to it. Like there was a moment where um, I was playing the Bishop character um, or I was like in the bishop's world, right? right. Everybody thought I was bishop. Um, uh, bishop's wife knew I wasn't. She knew I was Brian. Um, but I was supposed to like go to this like acquisitions meeting and kind of like decide what I wanted to do with it. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with it yet. And so I go in there and I meet this character named Hayden. She said, hey, you know, bishop in the, in the world, bishop had gotten kicked out of his own company like in December. So, she, so this character Hayden, she comes up to me. She's like, it was my call. I'm head of the board. I wanted to apologize, blah, 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 blah. And in my mind, I go like, Oh, interesting. They all think I'm him. Mm-hmm. She did this thing. And I can just see there's absolute power. There's the opportunity to just exercise power just because you can. Right. And it was tempting. And I, and I said, like, and I basically I closed the deal. I agreed to sell Mike the company and come back to the company um, on, the, uh, on the condition that she would, like, step down. And, like, I basically just, like, fired her on the spot. And to me, it was like so organic and natural. I'm like, oh, I have this opportunity. Like that speaks to me. Of course, I would do that. Apparently, everyone in the deep dive team was like, what the hell? What did he just do? Like no one anticipated I would do that. (laughs) But it was fantastic, right? Because it's like, okay, like what is that triggering in me, right? What do I find appealing about that moment? And what was even better about it 
is that after that happens, I'm like, this is great. I just sold the company. I show that thing is happening. We'll figure the rest of it. I get done. And, um, and, uh, and, and me and Faith, the character, like, leave to talk about plans. And she's like, what did you just do? Like, the whole plan was to stop this thing. You know, and you just kind of, like, let it happen. Now we have to, like, solve this other problem. And in that moment, I was like, my own... The, the interest in uh, you know the interest in power right mm-hmm. if that, the allure of it was so strong that it actually like damaged my own like long-term interest in it because i couldn't resist it and that became something interesting that then played out later as well um so all these small things like kept popping up like that that developed organically within the text as we were like making it together so technically not a branching narrative in that you know the plan for the scenes carried on but they had to flip what had occurred right because you you made a, a big change but i think there is something really sharp on about the subjective lens right mm-hmm. um i think there's there's so much emphasis is put on plot and people with plot control and yet it is about those relationships it's like what's you know what are you taking away from it right you know um how are you coloring the scene and it's so interesting that like your your plot hinge point here was was everything to do with an emotion and a moment and your relationship to this kind of temptation which is which is a dramatic choice right like how many times in real life do you walk in I mean, as a chocolate addict, right, or a sugar addict, like how many times do I walk in, wake up in a day, and I say, "Today, no, no, no apple fritters. Today, no, no Reese's peanut butter cups." And then you're there, and they're in front of you, and it's like, "Nope, apple fritters and Reese's peanut butter cups." Right? Like the emotion gets the better of you. Right. Our shadow trumps our psyche. Yeah. Right. Um, our our seeming inability as Americans to understand this is is one of the reasons why we are where we are right now. Is like we have this unhealthy relationship uh, on a cultural level with these impulses we have, and finding ways to like tease them out uh, and and understand it and drag the stuff into the light and then reincorporate it in a positive way is is both everyone's personal work and our culture's work and and I think our culture is failing at it. So that they're 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 plan fell apart because of a moment like that is such a wonderful accident in so many ways yeah and i think you know it's in the way they they would basically debrief every day and like fix things so the following day there was the press conference where i blew things up and i think the plan was to always have the press conference and we blow it up there right um but it didn't feel like that was preordained necessarily in the moment but we get there and the hayden character gives a whole speech as she steps down in that moment and i had that what should have been a moment of triumph felt like a moment of shame, right? Because then I learned what the ramifications were, so it came back at me in a different way again. Mm. Um, but even like the relationships that I formed with the characters played that way. One of my favorite moments during the entire experience was that um, I mentioned on that first night, um, uh, I impersonating Bishop were on this date with Bishop's wife, right? Over the course of the evening, I ended up like saying, like, hey, I'm not really your husband. I'm like this weird, like, dimension hopping guy, apparently. <laughs> but there was a moment where um, well, we went to the bar. And uh, uh, apparently, uh, Joanna, the actor, was telling me that she just had to improv something there. Mm-hmm. It was non specific. And she kind of said, oh, yeah, like, there's this senator at work that I'm like, other senator that I'm working, I'm flirting with. Mm-hmm. But it's just a work thing. It was just like a simple aside, right? Right. But again, subjective lens. 
I found it to be like this incredibly sad thing about their relationship. Like they have this marriage, like they've been together for a long time. It's fallen apart. They're both powerful people. She's desperately trying to get this bishop guy's attention. It's not working. You know, she's at this point where she's trying to go and get his attention that way. And normally he clearly wouldn't even care. Right. And like I just had so much empathy for like their relationship and wanting to help and for her as a character. And like and like my the whole way like I interfaced and emotionally invested in that character of faith came from that moment, right? And it's such an interesting thing, such a non orchestrated organic moment. You couldn't really write that or orchestrate that the same way. You know what I mean? It would just happen through the happenstance of that bit of improv and the way I happened to receive it. And that became for me like the whole reason I invested in a, in a in different character. Now they seeded a lot of their world into your world by you know getting your coworkers to collude mm-hmm. um, and you know dropping things into your hotel room. Did they pull any of your life into the piece? Because I know that's almost something that you're more familiar with is people trying to play play with you as you and not you as this lost soul in a in a universe you don't understand right i was um i uh the answer is no i expected Mm. them to i kind of like anticipated based on you know other shows i've been um i've been involved in so i kind of expected that right when they and yet it was still so effective for you or even it was was more so it was more so but it was funny because like when the things when the things didn't happen that that did happen that seemed like echoes they're more distractions like Mm. that that saturday night scene seemed like uh an it was an accidental echo of a scene I'd experienced as part of um, the Lust experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a company involved in the fictional universe, or actually in our universe, called MyVox. I work for Vox Media, so I'm like, oh my gosh, are things blending? Like, what's going on? <laughs> the story was already written before they even chose me as a participant. That was right. already done. Yeah. Um, so again, it talks about the the sleight of hand and the, the power of like we connect our own dots, right? We find ways to insert, you know, insert ourselves into the world we find ourselves in and give ourselves context for these things, whether it exists or not. Yeah. You know, the audience is doing half the work. I wonder if like it's because the context we give it gives us agency, right? Like here's something I understand, here's this context, I control this context. Like that's part of what's that instinct to do that, to connect those dots. Well, yeah, otherwise you don't know where to stand, right? It becomes mm. chaos. You have to find some, there's no way to go and like Truth. discern, you know, meaning from like just like the otherwise the, the white noise of it all. Um, but what was so interesting about this this piece is that um, that didn't need to be there, right? It was all about the emotional context. Like that was truly what ran through the entire piece. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking back on it, like the plot is minimal. You know, it, it was effective and it was like well executed and it was like a cool setup. Like, and it could totally play as a movie, right? The, the thing as a whole felt incredibly cinematic, um, especially the the ending, the last the last scene. Um, but uh, but it was uh, it was it was basically for the entire time I was living in a constant. I was living through like twelve hours of constantly heightened emotional states mm. that were intense and that were passionate, but um, felt totally genuine. Do you know what your counterpart, the other participant, like what what she was living through at all? Because you, I mean, you were cast as this character who's like super, you're very powerful in, in this space. And she seemed to be part of this resistance. Right. Um, um, a little bit. I, yeah. We talked about it a little bit afterwards. Um, uh, and, and I cannot say again, it's like how great she was. <laughs> it was like, so it was like, it's such a, like a wonderful surprise. Um, basically, this was the first simulacre that they had done, or that mm. interactive play lab that Jeff Worth's group had done, where they cast somebody 
as themselves. Because like I was playing Brian and then I was swapping. So I was like, you know, impersonating was part of it. Um, Amani, she was actually said like, your character's name, Nikita. Um, go for it, right? Yeah. And so what she did is she brought got brought into this um, resistance group, like recruiting meeting through a friend of hers. Um, where they were kind of like indoctrinated to hate Bishop. Apparently there's a picture of me in a dartboard. They all had to like throw darts at it <laughs> um, as part of their induction ceremony. Um, Ruby doesn't like that. So. Uh, yeah, Ruby. Uh, Ruby's sleeping. Yeah. Um, but uh, but those so like that kind of that was happening, and there's and she had these different paths where it became about you know there's a moment where at the end of the show they discover a bunch of documents that kind of reveal what the evil corporation is going to do with the open mind technology, mm. and you know I show up in a meeting and she's like here we've discovered these and like and then I use them at the end during a big speech that I kind of like that I gave at the end when I blew up the the acquisition. Well, she actually kind of like stole those sheets. You know, she had like a number of different scenes that I never saw, was never privy to that happened. You know, I think her experience started a day before mine, in fact. And it was her own path of like getting recruited into this group, kind of learning, kind of finding a way to come into her, her own as like the actual voice of reason within the resistance group because the leader, Max, was such a hothead. Um, and then kind of like stealing these documents and, and all this kind of stuff. But there's this great moment like where the, the end happens, or the end, final end of the show. Neither one of us know what's been going on. Uh, the The show ends with me literally like taking a bottle of pills and walking out on the roof of this house overlooking the Colorado River, which was breathtaking. Um, and it still gets me a little emotional talking about it. Like, not, no joke. Um, and then like everyone reveals themselves and like I walk down to the back to the living room of the house and then they go like, there's two chairs. They go, by the way, both you guys are participants. And like both of us were like, what? Like neither one of us knew. Um, and that was like really, really unique, I think, because um, they could have these like totally different experiences working with the same crew and performers, right? Yeah. Um, different narrative paths that overlapped constantly at, at crucial moments. Um but then, like, never know. Like, it was. I think we both like tripped out about it. Like, I'm supposed to talk to her tomorrow. Like, I just want to. I'm so curious to hear more about her experience. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was really, really unique. What does this tell you about the evolution of the form? <clears throat> it's uh, when I, I first. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, no, no go no, when I, like when you and I first started. When you guys first met, it was about VR project, right? Yeah, and there was, was such a focus on which one was it? It wasn't. It wasn't Dear Esther. It was uh, uh, no, it was Dear Esther. It was Dear yeah. Esther. Okay, yeah. Um, and there was such a focus on VR as this great tool in immersive storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then you do you start you discover this world and you kind of go like, oh, there's all these things you can do that are actually much more interesting, perhaps. For me, it really highlighted. Um, I mean, and really, really foregrounded how important, how irreplaceable. Um, a fantastic performer, a human being mm. is, you know, there's ways you can, you know, those scenes I had, those moments I had, they were because I was working with somebody that knew how to read me and could react in the same way. And because I was reacting to them also as a human, it wouldn't have worked if it was like, you know, scripted, it wouldn't have worked the same way if it had been like, you know, a branching narrative where I could unlock scenes and that kind of stuff. It was just about authentic emotional connection. Um, now I think that can scale to different things. Like you could have, you know, we can have like, you know, actor driven avatars in VR, right? We can do those kind of things. Right. But for me, um, it, it really drove home. Like I like plot, right? I like surprises. I like in moments gamification elements, but I also at the end of the day, I'm like a story and, and, a, and character guy. Right. And 
um, realizing, having it be shown so clearly how key, how irreplaceable that emotional connection is that only like human to human can provide, even if it's intermediated, is um, kind of told me a lot about what I think about this form's potential, what it can do, what I'm most interested in moving forward. Mm. Um, and I think also what kinds of experiences, because there's a level of emotional authenticity and depth you can get. And, and I give credit to all the performers in this group because I, I do think it's due to their unique skill set. Um, you can get an audience to a place. You can let them fall into a world in a way that you really kind of can't otherwise. You know, there's that brief blip uh, you know, in the in the conceit that helped onboard me, where it's like you're a guy, but you're like imprisoned in a different world, so you don't know who you are sometimes, or you know people don't know who you are sometimes, you know what they're talking about. And other than that, um, there was those things that usually bump me in a show, where I'm like, oh, I can see like the seams, or I can see this happening, I can see that. They were just gone because the emotional context was so strong. Yeah, emotional bonds were so strong. Like even the character of Max. Like we, I went to this resistance meeting, right, and I, again, it was a moment where I found myself kind of like, in the moment I was like, well, I could zip out of, you know, these people abducted me, put me in a van and drove me with my coat over my head. I'm like, and they sent me down this basement. What was a castle? I found out later. There's some amazing locations in Austin, by the way. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, was it Lord British's, British's castle by any chance? Uh, uh, no, I think okay. it's, it's I a different think castle. So. It's a different <laughs> castle, but like there's a bunch of sculpture in it. It's like, it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, but like, they're trying to shake me down, right? To get me to do what they want. And I go like, well, I could, I'm a dimension hopper guy. I could zoom out here at any time. I could quantum leap out of this at any time. I've got nothing to lose. So I let myself go to an angry place and got, got into it with this guy. But then that became my authentic, true relationship with Max, where I always would like dress him down. And like we had like this like, you know, head to head thing that would always happen that the, the other participant would kind of like, you know, mediate. But it was like a, a real authentic, you know, it was our relationship. Right. It wasn't one that had been dictated by the script. It wasn't one that had been dictated by, you know, the director. It was our relationship that we created together. That total emotional agency. Yeah. Right? And that is something that, initially you said, like, not dictated by the script, not dictated by the director, right? Because a script will, it won't, it won't uh, dictate exactly, unless you're, like, dealing with, like, what, Beckett or something like that. Um what the emotions are, but it'll put a restriction on it. You know, there's here's here's the thing you've got to say. There's there's a range with which you can say them, but the plot's going to move a certain way. The words are moving a certain way. The thing you're going to say four sentences from now, two paragraphs, a page later, determines what the what the feeling should be for it to make sense. Mm-hmm. Here you've got just the now, which is very much you know what's fun about improv, but instead of it being so this is the thing that I like so much in, in individual moments in a piece of immersive theater when I get that feeling that I have the emotional agency that I do in a piece of improv but I don't have the responsibility necessarily of plot mm-hmm. I don't have to chain it up to the you know to the next scene that's not my job I just have to react honestly in the moment yeah um, that's very much what it was like and I think it also spoke to the importance of well-designed story structure right because mm. that is basically like acts as a scaffolding that just lets those emotional moments happen and like there are like there were beats that needed to happen um i was never aware of those beats <laughs> you know ever yeah. i mean in, in a really remarkable fashion i think that speaks both to 
you know, the crafting of that structure and also the performers that were like, you know, guiding to those objectives, for lack of a better term. Um, But all those turns, though, were based on emotional context, right? They were Mm -hmm. based upon like, okay, why did I, you know, I finally confess to Faith that I am not her husband because of, you know, I... I have incredible empathy for her situation, right? And I don't like what's happening with her. And like, I don't want to put her through something bad when she's already dealing with this like situation in her quote unquote real life. Right. Right. Um, I, you know, I have like that weird thing with the Max character um, that we, we linger because I have a moment where I feel like I can kind of like let loose and go after him without consequence. And like, and so like I get all these things, but it's never about, it's never about the story beat. There is no, Again, like if a game is about objectives and like winning or losing or getting things, none of that exists in this. It's just about being present and forming relationships, like a chain of relationships moment to moment, like life. Like a simulated life. Like a simulated life. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. 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 <laughs> I want to end it there. I do. I mean, I want to keep right. on talking to you, but I think I want to end the show on that one. All right. So... Well, I mean, we're gonna do stuff like this again later, but yeah. Do you feel like Do you feel like that's a good spot to end? Do you think there's There's more? It's such a. I don't know. There's so much we could dig into it. To be honest, there's like yeah. literally so much you can or cannot do. Like, well, well, let's 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 not. I mean, we we went at it for a, a hot minute, but what, that feels like a major lesson, right? Yeah. You know, part of it's a reinforcement, but. You know, given given how much of this stuff, and given how deep you dive, right? I mean, yeah. you 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 go deep on these on these on the alternate reality pieces right. in a way that I don't. Um, what's what's another big takeaway for you from all this? I mean, it's uh, I don't want to have like a negative takeaway. I think for, there's another thing I walked away to. from. Huh? You don't have to. Well, no. I mean, I was saying like I kind of realized some things that I it emphasize it. Help me clarify some things that I don't like, right? Mm. Um, you know, I often find myself... Agency is very important. If, I, if I'm in a show and I don't feel like I have agency of some sort, you know, there's not usually a reason to be involved, right? You need to be able to go and at least create the perception, you know, of your own agency within a world. Otherwise, you're literally just watching a movie that other people are telling you. It's like there's no point to it. Um, and so... I think maybe shows that I've been to or ARGs that I've been part of where maybe you don't have that much, those seem a little bit less interesting now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but also I think it really speaks to, um, I mean, the other big takeaway for me, it's weird that it's, what's, the thing that's really striking is that how long it's taken me to like come down from the show. There's something about it where it's, you have four days and it's all on you. That is the most privileged of positions you could possibly be in. <laughs> yeah. It will never happen again in my lifetime. I am grateful to be have experienced it in the first place, right? $10,000 a week at Star Wars Hotel. So let's talk about that. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, so that there's an intensity that comes with it, you know, and realizing how deeply the work can affect you. Right, we're all used to movies and TV shows, and then walking away, and you, it's fine, whatever. We're used to like immersive shows where you walk away and it doesn't affect you. It's rare that like I walk around and like I'm still thinking about characters or missing characters, right? Oh God, the missing characters, yeah, yeah. That that sense of oh, if I could just go back there, I've had that. Yeah. I've had that in shows. It hasn't necessarily lingered for days. 
but it, it has lingered for hours sometimes. Yeah. Was, or, or that was what, when coming out of the Grand Paradise for me. Mm-hmm. Like getting on the train and like I felt like I'd gone through a breakup. And all I knew is I had to try and get back there. So I turned around and bought another ticket. Like that night, got back to where I was staying in New York, you know, and like went back two days later. Yeah. yeah. There, was, there was a really beautiful, um, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but for me it felt like a, a meta, a meta um, theme going on with this piece. Because the way it had been structured at the end, like I said, um, for me it only felt like there was really one decision to, you know, final decision to make in the show. But it had been where you could have had these three different choices, right? Um and in one way, it was like, well, you want to stay because you want to stay in that world. You know, like that, that choice was like, I was so tempted to make that choice because that world was like amazing and full of wonder and discovery. And it was, you know, beautiful. And it's, you know, despite this dystopian like backdrop, there was like beauty and light in the, in the people I met in that world, the things I discovered in that world. And it was like, it was incredibly difficult to give that up. Just, it was just as difficult in that moment. In that moment where I was sitting here, you know, the way the show ends up, I have these pills. I know that's an option. I've learned that if I die, the other guy dies. We, I have the, the, you know, I have the time travel, the dimension hopping device at that point, so I can do whichever I want. And it's going to sound crazy, so bear with me. But staying in that world was as appealing as going back to my real world, you know, and like my wife and my friends and my family and my parents, everything. Right. They were equally enticing. They were equally authentic. And it was like, that's special. How, how much, but you, in the moment or like afterwards, do the analysis of, yeah, they would have forced me back into my real life because they can't spend the next, you know, 40, 50 years <laughs> pretending <laughs> it's reality. It's like, he chose to stay in Wonderland. Guys, um, I know this research project was only for nine months, but um, our participant decided uh, that we need to keep on going. Uh, we found a line of credit we can use for a while. What we don't understand is how we're going to make this company work. Um, well, what, like, I didn't think that. I did think. I did think it would have been such a less. I, mean, I don't know what they. I don't know what they had planned. I think it may have been a much less satisfying ending for me personally if I decided to stay because it would have been like you've decided to stay. And scene, scene, and the show's over. Yeah, yeah. Whereas it worked out now, it was like this... I mean, I know what it feels like to take pills to, like, in my life. Like, I know what that feels like. That's the thing that happened to me. You, yeah. I mean, not, yeah, not exactly. Not exactly. Yeah, I, but the experience of, like, going through that thing, right? And having those, like, emotions worked up. Um, and then, like, having, like, the emotional coda that came after that. You know, when you have that moment afterwards, that there's like this moment of serenity where we're outside on the, on the roof, right? That's like, that's like a beautiful ending um, to that to that story, right? I don't know if like going back to either world would have felt as like impactful, right? No, I think it's it sounds like it's it's I mean it's the most dramatic, it's the most assertion of agency because in that moment you're. I, I bet you they they knew people would take it. It's, it's, it's interesting and and yeah, dark and honestly, in some ways, a bit fucked up um, choice to offer because it's the only choice that impacts that world in in a permanent way that you have. Mm-hmm. Because to just swap means you know you've screwed up that world for this other guy, but he'll be back. To doing what he needs to do, and 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 he may go and, and undo what you've done. The only way to seal it, to seal this world, you know, off, 
is for your agency to be removed from it entirely. Giving up that mantle of the agency, right? Like that, that's, and, and yeah, the symbolic, like, I mean, in so many ways you, you know, I want to be careful here because I think there's a danger that someone could walk away and think it's like, oh, it's glorifying suicide. Yeah, that's not, which no, not at all. No, this is about ritual. And this is about, a, I mean, it's, it's a ritual death. And that's something that's often been in magic ritual or religious ritual. It's like you symbolically die to this one world to go, you know, back into another. Or you symbolically die. And here it's like a little bit on its head because uh, there's no resurrection. But you, right. you went through the symbolic death. And so having that kind of right. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is most interesting about this, this work as a whole. And it sounds like this really touched on a lot of a lot of the core of it is, you know, when I was a kid, meaning when I was a teenager, I became really enamored in, with the idea. I feel like we've talked about this here before, um, meaning in this house. Um, I became enamored with the idea of, or interested in the idea that that we didn't have initiation rites in our culture. You might have hazing. Mm-hmm. In our culture, but that's that's not an initiation, right? That's a, a debased form of it. How much can you take, and how much pressure can you take? And honestly, it's about the people doing the hazing. It's not about the people going through. It has nothing to do with like, you know, it has very little, some to do with like, you know, testing someone and and, and preparing them for a new life. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea of uh, the Campbellian idea of a, of a of a ritual of an initiation, right? Of a way of marking very consciously a transition from one phase of life to another, always feels something that you know we don't have. Like in American culture, there are certain cultures in America that have it. You have your bar and bat mitzvahs. You have you know commun- your first communion, confirmation. You have you know your quinceaneras. Uh, but American culture, you know don't really got that no more there's there's the closest we had and i guess still have is like losing your virginity right you know like driving for the first time but the idea of an actual ritual Mm -hmm. process of a dramatic theatrical process where there are psychopomps that make you think about here's this thing that's going to be part of your life that you need to dwell on and it's usually about what's your relationship to this principle and now you're going to act through it. And in a ritual, you have certain things you say in order to, like, you know, assert, you know, your proper role in that society. Here it's about revealing revealing the, the soul of the, of the simulator, of the participant. It's like, here's this dilemma. How are you? Who's the real you? Right. How are you going to approach it? That kind of initiation, right, is something I've always been interested in existing Instead of prescribing people's roles, revealing people's souls. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I am a preacher from a mid-80s movie. Um, yeah, that sounds like it had those conditions to it. Yeah, and it was also interesting, we am talking about like the meta idea earlier. It's uh, There's something very, very... The sense of longing I found myself walking away with, I think, is tied to what we're talking about. Because you basically mm. walk into this world where you have ultimate emotional agency. It's a really good way to put it. Like, literally, I could have done anything, you know. There were no rules given ahead of time, right? Um, and then the end of it, 
is you have to give that up, right? That's the ultimate act of sacrifice is to give that up, that sense of self that goes away, um, which is the perfect dovetail into the real world again. Um, but it also like is the one that's um, in a strange way the most is like the hardest emotionally. Once you've fallen into that world and you fall into that dynamic, it's the hardest one to give up. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, I just uh, it's just. It's one of those things I'm, I think I'm going to be thinking about for a long time because the emotional resonances that happen in there, you know, were just so unique. And what's cool about it is that that's because of what also, I mean, it's always like what a participant brings to the table, like, you know, is going to determine like their sense of involvement, how much they care. You know what I mean? I tend to dive deep on these things. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd be so curious to see how this work can like, you know, this work can work with somebody that isn't like necessarily as much of a deep diver as I am, as a little bit as crazy as I am. You know what I mean? That it goes that far, you know, because you have that support structure, right? So, um, yeah, I just can't say enough about the way the story was crafted and just about those performers. Because like I was there, I was having authentic motions, but it's like all, all, you know, those artists are what allowed it to happen. Um, and, you know, at a time we were talking about Ready Player One earlier, you know, at a time yeah. we're talking about, you know, like VR and virtual this and all that. I'm just like, actual people humans yep. artists um it's like everything now that is where we're gonna end the show brian bishop thanks for telling us about your similar life thanks no <laughs> good to see you Once again, I want to thank our friend Brian Bishop of The Verge for being our guest on the show. Uh, he's at BC Bishop on Twitter. Links to everything will be in the show notes, so don't worry about that. That's coming your way. Um, let's uh, let's let's think here for a second. Uh, we've talked about South by obviously. We've talked about what's going on in Vegas. Um, I think I mentioned some stuff on the irregular this week. I don't I don't take notes. Um. <laughs> um one thing is I, I did get a chance this week to go to the Ready Player One experience, uh, the the challenge maze in um, in Hollywood at Hollywood and Vine. Thanks, Rachel Foti, for uh, you know, getting me in there. Uh, the, um, I think there's a little bit of market confusion over what this thing is. Um, I think if you if you walk in thinking that it's uh, an escape room because you might know that some escape room people worked on it. Um, you're going to go in with one set of ideas and you're going to be like, what? This is not like, there's no challenge to the challenge maze. I, I think they misnamed it. I really do. Um, if you think you're going to go in and get like an immersive theater experience because, you know, some immersive theater kids are inside as characters, you're also going to be like, what? But like, there's no, I don't understand. I just walk through. Um, it's much more like an Instagram palace. And if you go in with that mindset, it's actually pretty fucking cool. Um, I uh, I did not entirely know what to expect. I have a little trick. I just set my expectations to nothing on everything, uh, and then pick up on contextual clues. And when they st- when the staff started saying like, "All feel free to take pictures," I was like, "I'm in a photo booth. Okay, cool." And once I knew I was in a photo booth, I was like, I'm in a pretty cool photo booth. This is nifty. Um, 
it, there's some great set design going on there. Uh, it's really fun. There's a room in there that like I would gladly have be my basement. Um, there's also uh, if you go, if you go, um, look for the part at the end of the Rubik's cube themed room that's just got a bunch of mirrors. And spend as much time in there as you can slash as you can stand. Because I got myself dizzy drunk, totally disoriented, and I had to, like, watch my balance afterwards for a good seven minutes. (laughs) Oh, it was glorious. Um, I'm being serious. I am not screwing around. That was one of my favorite things in a while. Um... Just simple, simple pleasures of having your brain disoriented. And it really, yeah, vestibular, whoa. Um, We're going to see a lot of stuff like this. Um, And that's great. That's good. Little slices of irreality. I know the Mermaid Museum's popped up around here right now. Again, like promotional events are turning themselves into these photo opportunity things. Uh, There's this design work going in. There's often sometimes performers as a way of building up the overall ecosystem for immersive. This is fan freaking tastic. Just, you know, know that when you go in, um, you're, you're not, you're not going to punch drunk. You're, you're not going to the speakeasy society. You're not going to a third rail thing. Um, you're, you're going to an ad, an ad for something else. And sometimes those ads can be amazing. Like Westworld was at South by, but then think of how many people actually got to go do that and how long they stood it up and the scale and what the purpose and the point of it was, what was the return on investment? It was massive amounts of media coverage all talking about the show. All getting people excited about the show and making sure people have resubscribed to HBO now. Simple as that. It's all business at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, just there you go. Um, I was going to put a bunch of stuff about Ready Player One out today. Uh, the movie's out next week. So actually, uh, we're going to do a little hub uh, at the top of next week. Also, my weekend plans got a little turned upside down. So I thought I was going to San Francisco. Now I'm not. So I'm going to get ahead of some work and slow things down a little bit at the same time. Um, this is uh, this is a fairly busy time uh, all across our great land of ours. Uh <laughs> was that i'm running for president everybody um oh god i mean no and yes and yes and no uh someone's gotta do it um there's um there's a newsletter thing that i gotta do this weekend oh yeah la comes out this weekend and then uh North america again next week every week north america if you haven't checked it out yet there is a edition of the newsletter now that takes the version that had San Francisco and the West Coast and the Southeast and the Midwest editions, and they're all in one place now, North America. Uh, you can go on the NoPro site, uh, look for the newsletter, update your preferences, go into the last newsletter you got, update your preferences, uh, sign up so that you get it. Uh, we've got a lot of people on that one already, uh, and I expect even more as time goes on. So remember, we publish three newsletters now, Los Angeles, New York, and North America. LA and New York will be this weekend, and North America always comes out midweek, Tuesdays whenever possible, Wednesdays when not. Um, and that is the promise. 
The Irregular is our oddball podcast uh, that uh, goes up only for Patreon backers at the $5 and above level. So uh, if for some reason this is your favorite part of the show, one, I pity you. Two, hey, you single. Uh, (laughs) And uh, three, you can get it only for $5 a month on Patreon, patreon.com slash no proscenium. I have vacation brain on, Um, but I'm not on vacation. This is a problem. Um, Yeah. Um, you've probably stopped listening by this point. I know I would have. Uh, gosh. Um, I want to tell you who next week's guest is, but the episode's not in the can yet. So, um, and I don't want to put like pressure. We've been trying for like three weeks and it keeps on ping ponging around. Um, suffice it to say, uh, if you look back, if next week the guest we get is who, who we're supposed to get. Then you'll look back and you'll understand why I'm being cagey right now. Or something like that. All right. The coffee's still good. The work needs doing. And now I got to do the credits for the show. Yes, that's an important part. And also, I forgot the sustaining backers during the whole Patreon thing at the beginning. That's a problem. So, sorry, gentlemen. Hey, let's start there. The sustaining backers for No Persinium are Bradley Smith, Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Arthur Tubman, Ari Herstan, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all for... Uh for being a major part of what we do here. The music for this episode, as always, is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Uh, The No Pro logo is by uh, Dino Nama of Think Tank Gallery. And I'm Noah Nelson. Um, uh, I don't know what I do anymore. Uh, I do this. This is what I do. And I'll keep on doing it. Until next time, I'll see you at the show.